0: Welcome to episode two. We made it to episode two. How are you? Uh, my name I'm... is Seth. He is Dave. Uh, we are here. This is Being Jewish. I hope you had a good reaction to the first episode. I I, I thought everybody who heard it uh, might only have been our family and friends, uh, but everybody who heard it said they liked it.
1: Yeah, so far I've only heard good things and people love the stories and want to hear more.
0: Well, let's 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 do more. Uh, there's no secret about that. Um, let's start well, at least in-
1: get to episode three and then uh, <laughs> we'll keep going.
0: Somebody asked me, they said, how many are you doing uh, of this? I said, oh, well, considering uh, my sports podcast just hit it's 400th. I said, "Nope, I don't think we're getting there.
1: We really have no idea. I mean, there will always be something of deep relevance to discuss. Hopefully things will get better and we won't have to talk about tragedies and antagonism and hate. Uh, Hopefully we reach a day where we only have good things to discuss and fun things to discuss. But until then, we'll dive into the controversy.
0: Sure. Uh, Controversy, there's no question about it. If you typed in uh, anti-Semitism, and search the news, the first thing that you saw was an attack on Elon Musk. Elon Musk uh, has decided to become Mr. Politics. And, you know, frankly, I before we get into the story itself, I want to just give a little background in that um, in the last six months, what I've seen from Elon Musk has made me very simply i will never spend a penny on twitter i will never spend a penny on tesla and i will never i'm never going to space so he can have his 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 space program the fact of the matter is is as much as of an environmentalist as you and i are i will never sit in a tesla i wouldn't rent a tesla um what he's done to journalism is awful. I know that's a separate subject, but it's a subject that hits really close to home. Uh, by taking away the verification of journalists, a hardworking journalist that are under siege by politicians, uh, is shameful. This isn't about status, and it's not about a blue check that I had or have it uh, don't have. That's not the issue. The issue is Elon Musk has made Twitter his plaything, and it's disgusting. But he decided to take a political stance, and in doing so, he compared George Soros to Magneto. Wow. And it came off as anti-Semitic. He tweeted in May, George Soros reminds me of Magneto. He clarified to another user, he wants to erode the very fabric of civilization. Soros hates humanity.
1: Wait, hold on. If he is comparing George Soros to Magneto, does that explain why he only bothered to make his cars out of plastic? Yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. No, uh well, yeah.
0: and the story of Magneto just for for the context of this is uh Magneto is a Holocaust survivor. That's the that that's the whole uh, idea
1: and Right, that there's that amazing flashback in the X-Men when uh he is sure you know, oh he discovers his powers and uh he pries open the fence or it comes off the hinges oh it's like an that.
0: amazing scene uh, it's an oh, amazingly poignant and 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 hurtful scene uh, I mean you, you really understand uh magneto but it doesn't excuse uh you know that he was a villain he was he was a bad guy
1: but uh, uh we can be most sure that Elon Musk did not really think about the nuance in there.
0: No, but he did consider the fact that they were Nazi survivors, Holocaust survivors. Mm. And that's where it came from. He wasn't doing it because of plastic. Like he wasn't doing it from a comic book standpoint. He was doing it because of that scene. And it's inherent. What it does is it, it perpetuates this negativity. It's this name calling. And it stems from the top. And again, I don't want to do this whole episode about politics, but it just seems like we're very, very eager to put each other down. And what that does is it fuels people who already had hate inside them because they feel like it's the status and it's the norm and it's acceptable. Whereas I think 10 years ago it wasn't.
1: I would venture to say that we do have a lot of adults who behave like children, and we have always had a lot of adults who behave like children. The difference is 10 years ago, they didn't have a platform. Right. Elon Musk, had he been uh, around prior to social media, He might have ended up in the news. However, the news would have filtered the worst things that he would say unless it was to show how criminal uh, or at least how indecent this man would be. Right? The difference is these adult children are able to speak their minds and have followers who want to hear them for whatever reason pay attention. I I think it's just a matter of platforms. I wish that we didn't have so many people behaving like this out there, but we do sadly politics, uh, the political world, the uh, entertainment world, sports world, as we have discussed, uh, it's full of these folks.
0: But do you think that it's the, the the fact that they have access to social media right now, politicians and it's not just trump okay so that that, let's let's get that out of the way let's get the big elephant out of the room it's not just that there are politicians that will literally say things that are scripted from their base that are hurtful that are mean-spirited and it's on both sides and it's not it's just not the way we used to speak about each other and you know, you t- you you take that aspect and then you multiply it by the aspect of social media exists. I, I think there's a confluence of the two of them together.
1: The two are definitely joining together, but I do believe that technology has influence this heavily in the same way that technology has influenced a lot of our behaviors over time we change our approaches based on the means that are available to us i have a colleague who wrote his thesis on the influence of clocks and timekeeping on religion because being able to separate the day into smaller and smaller segments and be accurate about it really changed our ability to be able to mark when festivals would begin or when we have to practice uh, uh, different rituals, right? We have uh, an incredible tradition next week for Shavuot where we thought what's the best way we can prepare for this festival around receiving Torah? Let's stay up all night and study Torah. The mystics came up with that in the 16th century. What led to them approaching this Ritual? Coffee, right? They didn't have coffee in the region until close to that point. And then they suddenly had a new tool that would allow them to stay up all night, right? So we now have a way of disseminating information very, very quickly without any restriction, which can be a good thing for getting messages out there. We see that uh, in protests for people uh, who are pushing for more rights all throughout the world. It also means that our attention spans for reading are much shorter because many of these messages come in 160 characters or less, right? And it means that these awful human beings who only have uh, hateful garbage to spew can do so without thinking about it and get it out there and people are just ready to listen, right? Before this technology, you had filters, you had editors. Right. We had to make any time we wanted to get something out there, except for the people who might actually show up in person to listen to us. You had to get through layers of people who would evaluate whether or not what you had to say was reasonable. We had checks and balances. We no longer have these checks and balances. And one of the things that Elon Musk did to Twitter is he took away one of the last checks and balances that was there and saying, you know what, now you could pay for this blue check mark, Right.
0: Right. The, the blue check mark turned into a status and it was never meant to, to have that. Uh, I mean, that was never what it was supposed to be. The idea was it was to prove, it, you know, that people were who they said they were um, and to avoid fakes. You know, I joined Twitter, I'll just tell my quick story. You know, I joined Twitter in 2009. Um, by 2012, 2013, there were fake Seth Everett accounts. Wow. There were a bunch of them. And then uh, in 2014, I remember I got verified. I don't remember how. I didn't apply for it. I, you know, I just showed up. And I got an email that said, you're verified. And they said, if you ever change your handle, you lose it. And I said, okay. I wasn't going to anyway. You know, and I always <laughs> laughed. I always used to make fun of people who put their uh, employer in their Twitter handle. So, like, if you were like uh, Bruce Wayne, ESPN, what if you don't work for ESPN anymore? <laughs> like, would that, now don't you feel dumb?
1: right? You no. have that minute window uh, between the knowing that your job is ending right. and your job <laughs> ending to put out a message saying, "Hey, switch to this uh, my Twitter
0: handle? handle. how do I get re-verified? like th- that was that was a thing. and i I remember the equivalent
1: that. of getting your significant others' uh, name tattooed on your yeah whatever. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you could, yeah, you could imagine. And, and journalists, what I was noticing was the minute that Elon took over, it was impacting sports. Now, again, let, let's just look at it from a very frivolous standpoint. But if there is a fake Adam Schefter sending out fake uh, NFL trades, that goes viral. Because people thought it was Adam Schefter and they thought it was, you know, Adam Schefter was doing it. He's a he's a prominent reporter. He has millions of followers. And, you know, if you take his context or his speech pattern or the way, you know, the way he writes or whatever it is and you write it and then all of a sudden other media outlets are picking up on it. And understand that from a journalism standpoint, there was a time and I want to say it was around the same time, 2012, 2013, where editors would tell their reporters, tweet before you write, get the news out, then sit down at the keyboard and, 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 and write out the well-thought-out story. Because in this day and age, with clickbait journalism the way it is, um, getting the news first was more important than having the well-thought-out article.
1: It affects all of our critical thinking as well.
0: Right, and that's to me what separated Twitter from instagram or you know facebook or any of these other things i think the other things are really they emphasize the social whereas twitter emphasized the media Mm. because journalists were using it to get their news out and you know if you want to say it all changed when trump ran in 2015 maybe you know he started calling things fake news and, it, you know, it, it impacted. And what, what I'm saying is, is the, the, the guy who is sitting there, guy or girl, it doesn't matter what gender they are, but the, the guy being. who has anti-Semitic feeling and wants to say something, wants to, wants to spray a swastika on a, on a wall. Or worse. This, this Right. Or he wants to throw a rock at a temple. These things, is that person being empowered because there is lawlessness at the top? That the, that's the supposed leaders are acting as immature as ever.
1: I think it's a perfect storm. I think you're right that we have had leaders, including, you know, number 45, who have gone short, perhaps, but very, very short of saying, get at them, right? Using coded, veiled language to say this kind of hate is absolutely acceptable. And that's horrific, and it has encouraged people to come out of the shadows. That being said, the technology is there for them to come out of the shadows, too. The encouragement, the ability to steal identities and get your message out there through fake identities or through others it, it, it can spread like wildfire whereas before there were many more limits so it is that perfect storm i, I think that hate has always been there poor behavior has always been there uh, among all of us among our leaders it just we are at a new stage of being able to spread that, being able to share that, and having it be accepted on a societal level.
0: You were in rabbinical school when America Online...
1: No, I I was definitely still in Canada because uh, You've Got Mail was very much a thing. Okay. But... But in Canada, I only knew of AOL from our American neighbors down south. It was something that was never available to me. Okay. We had
0: what I'm saying is the, the chat rooms became very prevalent. Yes. In dial-up internet, and I, I guess I'm asking because I think you'd be more educated on this than than surely I would be. Was racism, sexism, anti-Semitism were those things prevalent when the platform was a chat room versus? 280 characters on a website?
1: I cannot speak with authority on this. Based on what I recall, anyone could hide behind a handle. So I do remember there being plenty of instances of predators, uh, you know, pretending to be, pretending to be, I I remember this in the context of uh, predators pretending to be teenage girls or teenage boys going after other young people I say this with speculation. I imagine that there were probably plenty of chat rooms, uh, just as there are today, for very, very hateful things. However, they were definitely more contained than they would be today.
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, there aren't there aren't more haters now. It's just there's more platforms for us to
1: see what they hate, and there is as you have. Uh, said there is more license for them to be able to speak up the hate is the hate has been present right it the hate manifests in different forms because there are still too many people who don't have the right relationships they don't have the right education or there's just hate in their hearts and we haven't figured out yet how to tackle that can we eliminate that can we hope for a society where everyone is just lovey-dovey or at least respectful In an ideal world, yes. I don't know if that ideal world's possible, so we just have to hope that we can get most people on board and then mitigate the damage from the rest. So last Thursday, I got to be at an event. Uh, The New Jersey chapter of the NAACP hosted their first ever interfaith, intercultural conference, where the idea was that we had religious leaders coming from all over the state to gather and have meaningful conversation about our relationships with each other and the work that has to be done, because we are now all realizing that us minorities, we don't, there aren't enough of us to remain in our silos, to have infighting between us. There is hatred across the board for people of color, for, uh, for Jews, for people uh, in the LGBTQ plus camp. And if we are going to be able to tackle the hate that's ultimately coming from white supremacy and other extremists, we have to be in this together. So we came together, we had a a very disturbing but important presentation from the Anti-Defamation League about the massive uh, number of extremist groups who are operating in this country, including right here in New Jersey and what to look out for and how to report it. We had a panel of different religious leaders, which I sat on, where we were just sharing with each other our approaches to how we are religiously obligated to help out other human beings and to pursue justice. And we looked at actual concrete issues because all of this is fine. But if we're not going to push for legislation for more protection for people, for creating more programs within our schools and other social institutions for bringing people together if we don't do that all of the relationships uh there's only so far they will take us so there's hope there are more programs and more people coming together but we all have to do the work it can't just be the leadership we have to show up when there's an opportunity for diversity to expose our children to people who are not like them we need to take all of those opportunities. I think COVID has very much put us into our own bubbles, right? We've talked about these hate bubbles, but I think each of us have secured those bubbles of comfort and security because we've had to. The time has come where we have to pop those bubbles, not just for social exposure and getting out there and getting back into normal life, but because that's the only way we really get back to functioning well as a society. We need to get used to having differences with people and those differences being okay and just adding richness to the relationship. That's what we should be as a country, right? As humanity.
0: Um, How do you find out about something like this? And do they reach out to you? Do you reach out to them? When you say
1: they, who are you referring to here?
0: The people who organized it.
1: So this comes through relationships. I was asked a while back to be on a panel of rabbis the local NAACP chapter, I've gotten more involved and then they asked me to get involved. So really like anything else, build your relationships, network, and then you'll be on different lists. You'll find out about more. And the key here is jump at every opportunity. Like with anything else, uh, we can be handed everything on a silver platter. I would love that silver platter right now. It would make life a lot easier. But if you don't accept it, if you don't follow up, we don't get anywhere. We all have an obligation right now to jump at every opportunity to embrace multiculturalism, to embrace diversity, to embrace relationship building. And it's only when we all follow up on that, and when the majority of this culture has chosen that, that these voices will have to fade to the background because no one wants to hear them we need to destroy the market for hate we need to tear down the value that this speech earns these folks uh, how many likes do they get when they spew garbage right What's the we motivation? need to push yeah, people I, like I, elon musk and yay into a pit of irrelevancy
0: i just what i wonder is what the motivation for saying it even if you feel it you know i there, there are things i i I mean, I don't like the New York Rangers, right? I, I, <laughs> you definitely like fan, Rangers. you. I, I, I don't like the New York Rangers, you know? um, But there are limits to, you know, just every day waking up going, I hope Ranger fans, you know, feel pain or die. You know, like, I, I, I can't <laughs> imagine. I know, I'm, I'm so am It got dark
1: very quickly, Seth.
0: It got dark, yeah. Right, it... it- like you can have this thought, I would. I would. I would. What I I guess that I'll never understand, but I want to understand is uh, the person who chooses to go online and visit the dark web and 4chan and you know QAnon and you know those kinds of things because they want like-minded people, and then take that and. Just say things because it gives them a certain satisfaction. I guess I answered my own question. What? I don't even need you for this podcast.
1: What are you saying, Seth? Break up at episode two? It's episode two? That's all we got? Not cool. Not cool. Remember, bullies were often bullied, right? People who are seeking power because there's some kind of loss or hole in their life will put down others. It gives them a sense of being raised up, right? A lot of these white extremists are acting out because they see a loss of power to white men, right? Yeah. There is a loss of power to white men because other people are rising up. That's a good thing, mm-hmm. right? We need everyone to be raised up on an even playing field, but it means that those who see things crumbling around them and they already have hateful views they are going to lash out to try to protect what they think is theirs Hmm. other people are looking for acceptance so they will join with these groups because they feel they get rewarded for it emotionally in that very skewed way people who make offensive statements on twitter right we know that you get a rush from seeing all those likes pop up, the retweets, right? Yeah. It it takes self restraint to not pay attention to those, right? It's rewarding. Yeah, you know, it, it, when you tell a joke, you want there to be laughs. Some sure. people will tell jokes because they're funny. Some people will tell jokes because they're incredibly risque and will get a rise. You know, yep. <laughs> I think we've all done that, and there is a certain pleasure that comes with it. There is. Way too much incentive in this world for doing awful things. I don't know how to tackle that one. So to get back now to our favorite car designer. Henry Ford? Oh, yes. Another great anti-Semite. We have a tradition. (laughs) Actually, we have a couple of traditions in Judaism to use because we know that he is a child... We know that he has demonstrated the behavior of an awful human being. And without him, electric cars would not be on the map in the way they are today. That's right. Right. So we do have to give credit where credit is due. There are two Talmudic approaches to this. I I can't be on a podcast without bringing in some sacred text, right?
0: I understand. Yeah. One, we really decided to do this podcast was to, you know. More Torah, less Seth, I understand. More
1: Torah with Seth, Seth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So one approach is the Talmud's approach to King Herod, who was a paranoid, powerful human being who some scholars will say was the Saddam Hussein of those times. The Talmud says one nice thing about him. He built good buildings right? We know that his constructions like Masada, like the temple, they still stand. So it is okay to say, to give credit in some cases to the good things that a person has done, as long as we limit the credit that we are giving to the accomplishment. Elon Musk put electric cars on the map. He made space travel a little bit more accessible and On the record, in case anyone important is listening, I would happily be the first rabbi to go to outer space. Oh, yeah. Just saying. Uh, Another approach. There is a part of the Talmud where one rabbi ends up saying awful things about other rabbis, and they want to ostracize him. But their problem is that the Torah that he brought to the table was so good. Right? He was brilliant. He was an awful human being, at least in their connections, and he was absolutely brilliant. Right? It it would be like if he did electric cars and space and far more, but still a terrible human being. So, what did they say? Anytime they wanted to share his teaching, they said, There are those who say. So, they would give enough credit. To say that this idea was not their own and it belonged to somebody else and they would share the idea, but they would not share the name of the person who gave that idea. And I got such a kick when I was reading a more modern book about Israel and I recognized an idea in that book and I was pretty sure it came from a very disgraced Israeli journalist And then I checked the notes at the back, and indeed, the author of this book had used the Talmudic approach to share Mm. the brilliant idea Uh of a brilliant but very disgraced Israeli journalist. So there are some awful human beings who come up with absolutely brilliant ideas, and sometimes those ideas do make the world a better place, so we have to give them credit for that. But that does not mean that we need to give them credit for being decent human beings who are worthwhile and add value to every conversation
0: at this point i think it would be good to remind folks that uh so far everybody who has reviewed the show has given it five out of five stars uh jane writes and says rabbi david and seth i like that uh i really enjoyed listening to the podcast you both share invaluable information which i believe we all need to hear and digest Seth, just out of curiosity, what is your last name?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic.
0: (laughs) I love that.
1: We may have to keep the
0: future podcast. Jane, I can honestly say, um, reach out to me on social media. (laughs) I can't can't do it on a podcast.
1: (laughs) Maybe, Seth, we reveal your last name on the last podcast we ever do.
0: Uh, ever do. Right. That that's... <laughs> A lot of people on, at least I know from the Facebook <laughs> post that I did, uh, a lot of people uh, wanted other people to hear it. You know, Facebook is one where unless you're in our circles, you know, you you wouldn't know about the podcast. And then people were tagging other people who are not in our circles to spread the word. I thought that was really neat um for the first episode so all we can say is keep them coming uh keep the comments keep the questions i I think you can do it on spotify also uh although i'm not 15 years old so i don't know how to use spotify
1: do you have to be 15 to listen to spotify i really Uh, do enjoy working with spotify they the algorithms are fantastic
0: well i got into a fight with spotify if you really must know yeah, they, uh, they flag like when I use ten second clips of songs on podcasts and things like that. So
1: I guess they take the artist. If our side.
0: podcast gets popular, trust me, they'll find some flaw with it.
1: I look and if Spotify's to that listening, hi
0: Spotify. Yeah, no, they're Spotify, they're not listening. They're uh, they have an AI for... listening. <laughs>
1: But friends, we did spend a lot of time coming down on what social media can do, but we can also use it for good. So not only do we hope that you'll rate this show and tell your friends about it, but feel free to share it on social media with everyone you know. It can be a tool for good. So let's make sure that it is.
0: And with that, we'll see you next week.
1: And be nice.